from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And it's my pleasure to be with you. Happy Thursday. Our phone number, if you want to join the conversation, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. And it's an interesting time that we're living in where truth has become rather subjective. Now, I remember when I was in college my freshman year, there was a lot of talk about relativism and how one uh, can decide their own truth. And that was a an idea. It was a philosophy. Some people believe that. Others didn't. But interestingly, today, this seems to be everywhere. Like no matter where you go, you run into this. Today, earlier, and I'm going to get into the big stories. Obviously, a lot of stuff going on today. We're going to talk about the submarine that, uh, as we understand it, imploded. We're going to talk about uh, lots of things, lots of the, the big news. But I want to talk about truth right now because truth seems to be what's really under attack, right? It really seems to be a battle for the data. And I was at my usual, right? I go to my Cuban coffee place and I get a, a cafe con leche and we're talking and we get into a little bit of a, a disagreement because the barista tells me, well, you've got your truth and I've got mine. He's like, you know, I, I don't know. It's like you read different things than I do. Your news is different than my news. I said, no, it's not that. Uh, I mean, that can be a, a thing, and it is. I mean, obviously, you watch CNN, you watch uh, Fox, you, you're not going to see the same stuff, granted. But it, it dawned on me that this was the crux of every situation, right? The reason you have people that are unwilling to listen when you're having any type of dialogue is because they've already sold out to that idea. Now, as much as I believe in what I believe, I'm always willing to listen to the other ideas because sometimes you miss stuff. But it's when you stop listening that you get lost. Now, listen, there are things that are non-negotiable. I understand, right? Uh, I, um, my, my faith, right? My faith is not something that's like uh, a little bit or a lot. And that's kind of how it started. Uh, I said something, I think I had a shirt that said, uh, God over everything. And he says, oh, are you a big Christian? And I said, like in stature? And he said, no, like you, you believe a lot? I was like, I think being a Christian is like being pregnant. You can't be a little bit pregnant or a lot of bit pregnant, can you? Uh, I guess you can say maybe at, at a month and a half or three months pregnant, you're a little bit pregnant, but I, I don't think so. I don't think anybody uses that term like, oh, she's a little bit pregnant. <laughs> you know, you're either pregnant or you're not. And I think when it matters of faith, the same thing. You're either a Muslim or you're not. You're Jewish or you're not, right? Unless you're Congressman George Santos from Queens, who is Jew hyphen-ish, Jew-ish, Jew-like. But all of us are, are what we are, right? Whether you're an atheist or agnostic or whatever. So we have this discussion and it circles around truth and it ends up on Wikipedia, right? And I'm telling him, look, I know when I went to school, I wasn't allowed to use Wikipedia as a source because 
it's open source and it's a wiki and people can change things, even though there's an editorial process and all that, it's still not like Britannica or the other encyclopedias that are out there that are written by people that write encyclopedias. So why are we talking about this? Well, we're talking about this because there's a battle for truth and, and, and nobody has a monopoly on it, right? It's not like Democrats um, have a monopoly on evil and Republicans have a monopoly on good and, and truth. That's not the case. But, the, but things do skew in one direction or another. And this is how the, the conversation started. So I want to bob in and out of that and, and weave our conversations and our topics and our guests and all the stories that we're going to cover tonight inside of this, you know, relativism idea. There's a lot of very clever old sayings like there's your side, my side, then there's the truth. And I believe that there is an absolute truth. And I don't mean it just for like religion and whatnot. I mean it like for reality, like I'm not going to argue with somebody if they tell me, look, the fact is the earth is flat, right? I just can't because we've, we've been there. We've done that. We know we, we've seen the, the imagery unless every photo we've seen is, is false. Then that's another story. But and, and that's the point, right? So how much space are you willing to give for unless if right? And that was our, our conversation. We were talking about, he was saying he feels it's appropriate that Hunter Biden was charged the way he was charged. And I said, I think that he got a sweetheart deal. And he says, do you think that's inappropriate? And I said, I think it's inappropriate, but I expect it. And I think it's logical. And we agreed on that, right? We agreed that most people who are president of the United States would probably pardon their son. And I, I agree with that. Um, I, I don't, you know, immediately he said, you don't think Trump would do it? I was like, I don't know what Trump would do. I said, all I do know is that Don Jr. and Eric and Ivanka don't have tax evasion and gun charges to their name, right? I know that Hunter does, so I can only deal in the facts. And and this is part of uh, the, the way the conversation went. So I, I, I feel that there's, this is why I stay away from the whataboutism, because that's where he was. He was like, well, what, what about if Trump, what if it was this one? What if it was, ah, come on, right? Really, we, we can't get into all of that. I, I'm not going to play that game. So I want to talk about Hunter Biden. I want to talk about the submarine. We're going to discuss uh, a bunch of things tonight. We are also going to talk about this battle between Gen Z and the baby boomers and uh, a little bit on what's going on with China. You got to check in with China because they're always on the move. And I know some people think, oh, it's repetitious. You, you know, it's the same thing. They hate us, they hate us, they hate us, and you, and you beat them up. Well, yes, I think it's uh, incumbent upon me and all of us to beat up China as often as we can. If we don't do it, who is? Definitely not our leadership, right? Definitely not Joe Biden. Definitely not uh, General Milley or General Austin or um, what's his name? My favorite who never knows uh, how to tell the truth. Uh, Admiral Kirby, right? These guys, we can't depend on them for anything. So I want to invite you to call if you want to join the program. Please do. Bear with me. I, my voice is a little bit hoarse today. Had a lot of meetings early in the day. And allergies have been out of control, but we'll get through it together. The phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich 
Valdez. These whistleblowers report they have faced almost immediate retaliation. They say they tried multiple times to sound the alarm internally at the IRS and raise concerns with the Department of Justice prosecution team. Their concerns were not given fair consideration. One of the whistleblowers was passed over for a position when he was more qualified than the candidate selected by IRS leadership. And roadblocks, roadblocks have uh, appeared in the course of their other unrelated investigations. Now that they have testified to Congress, they have been removed from the investigation. These individuals are risking their careers and reputations to do the right thing. All right, that's Representative Jason Smith, a Republican out of Missouri, uh, just laying it out. And again, we've heard this before. It's a little bit more of the same, but I think incredibly important. We've had those whistleblowers on this show. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why nobody seems to care, right? It seems like things, certain things only happen in Congress, kind of like the Benghazi um, debacle we had. It was only litigated in Congress, never went anywhere else. Anyway, I want to get to the bottom of this. And who better than Jimmy Fallon? You know him from Fox Across America, and you've probably seen him on Gutfeld. Man, I want to be a Gutfeld. What a good gig if you can get it. Jimmy Fallon, welcome to the program. Hey, 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 thanks for having me. Um, Gutfeld is actually an easy show to get on if you're ever in New York. Uh, I, I sometimes host the show, and I will say this. Normally when you're filling in for the number one late night show in America, you have big shoes to fill, but in Greg's case, it's a size four. So it's not <laughs> That's not so great. Bad, but thanks for having me. Yep. You bet. Anytime. So uh, let's get to, to the bottom of this, right? Because, I mean, I think this is just a, a lot of political shenanigans, but I, I'm interested in knowing your take. And, and do you feel I, I like to always look at things like, you know, I live in this world of radio and I used to work in government. So I see things a certain way. But I realize there's a lot of people out there that are driving trucks, ambulances, police cars, you name it. They're working. And they don't live for politics. This isn't their thing. They check in for a little bit every day. They check in with your show. They check in with my show. And they keep it moving. Do you think the American people are hip to what's going on? And do you think they care? Um, I think they would care if they were hip to what's going on. I mean, the truth is the media has worked pretty hard to shield them from this story. You know, whether it was killing mm -hmm. the Hunter Biden laptop story in the run-up to the election or in the aftermath, there hasn't really been any wholesale attention paid the fact that Hunter Biden, I mean, clearly is doing things that you or I, the average American, would wind up doing significant jail time for, you know, and at the very least, we'd have the IRS all over us. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's gotten millions of dollars from foreign entities while his dad was the sitting vice president. And oh, by the way, the money got funneled through 15 different shell companies, none of which have a business. Have you ever gone out to dinner with your friend, like engaged in a legitimate business transaction where you owed your buddy a hundred bucks and you were like, just do me a favor, send the money through 15 different companies and then it'll end up in my grandkids bank account. That's not <laughs> kosher. You know what I'm saying? A hundred percent. And I think if it were presented that way more often, people might might buy it. But I, I think there's a general sense of people saying, you know what, but they're politicians. They're like gangsters with ties on. They don't really care. <laughs> no, I mean, the truth is, you know, as you hear a lot, there's obviously two different Americas. For instance, like I, I've been audited twice by the IRS because apparently I have the wrong debt. And yeah. if anybody tells you, if anybody tells you they don't go after the little guy, I spent most of my life in a taxi in New York City. 
And they, I literally got audited when I was making $17,200 a year. I don't wow. mean to get the ladies in the audience aroused. I know nobody <laughs> likes to show off. But I was making about seventeen two, and they brought me in because they were skeptical that I could even be surviving uh, at that level of income in New York. But you're making seventeen grand before. as a cabbie in New York? Uh, at the time, I was. The thing about driving a cab is you get paid weekly, very weekly, uh, as a matter of fact. And, uh, <laughs> Incredibly weekly. Yeah, I know. You ain't kidding. And I was on the road doing stand-up, and I didn't have um, a lot of declarable income. And uh, at the time, they brought me in because I had high fuel expenses. Because uh, as a cab driver, you're filling your car up a few times a day. But the point right. is, look at the level of income they're scrutinizing. You know, everything the Democrats tell you about the rich paying their fair share, uh, there doesn't seem to be any interest in making Hunter pay his fair share. And never mind what's so preposterous, really quickly, is if this guy evaded taxes on millions of dollars, which we now know, isn't it a little insane that they're not going after the source of the income. They're just taking his word for it. Like that wouldn't happen to you or I. And that's where the average American, who's kind of a casual consumer of politics, should know that, you know, this is a scam. And if it's the standard going forward, we're really living in two Americas. Nobody should be cool with that. Folks, we're on with Jimmy Fallon. You know him from Fox News. You've seen him on Gutfeld, and he's all over the place. Funny guy, great guy. Now let's continue. Um, I see here, I know nothing about this story. The, this is a shame on all of us for not being up to speed here. What's going on with keeping bacon in the baseball stadiums? <laughs> that's funny. So there's a minor league baseball team uh, that's being pressured. They're called the, the, in Macon, Georgia, there's a minor league team called the Macon Bacon. M A C O N. But yeah, you got to make it bacon. So there is a local environmental group uh, that is also like a health aware group that's pressuring them to remove bacon from their namesake because of the health connotations of bacon and the potential to get higher rates of certain diseases. But it's like, dude, if you're going to a concession stand at a minor league game, you're not doing it because you care about your health. Okay. Minor league stadiums are where you go to test your immune system. In, In fact, the idea that I spent in the summer of 2019 Eating five hot dogs a game watching the Scranton Yankees is why I believe my immune system was strong enough to handle COVID. That and the fact that I drove a taxi in New York City. But essentially, the best immunity ever. Happening? Oh, you ain't kidding, man. I've, I listen, I've, I've caught things my doctor hasn't heard of. Like, we, you know, you know, it's bad when your doctor's on Google. You know, it's never good. But, um, you know, this is again, this is another example of like left wing groups trying to force their values on everybody else. That's what keeps happening in this country. Like, Whenever we talk about marketing, like Bud Light getting in trouble or something like that, the reason it's happening now is marketing firms used to try to pique the customer's values, to pique their interests. But now what they're trying to do is flat out change them so they can get a higher you know, DEI score for their company, higher ESG score for their company, social credit score. So what used to happen is you know, we had marketing firms like Mad Men, you know, but now we have Mad Them. And Don Draper is now Dawn Draper. And uh, every single thing is getting sold to you for reasons other than why you would traditionally buy the product. You know, you didn't go into the beer fridge going, hey, do any of these guys have a spokesperson that's a man in a dress? You just wanted a cold one. You just wanted a beer. But I'm telling you, we're fighting all the wrong battles. Unbelievable. Now, Jimmy Fallon, let's um, let's switch gears here. Tell me about this impeachment effort on Biden. 
Uh, I see that, you know, it's a couple of days in a row it's popping up. Everybody's forcing a vote on this. Um, do, do you really think the Republican Congress, I mean, McCarthy's already kind of weighed in, said he's not getting involved in it, but do you think they'll be able to force McCarthy's hand if they continue? I don't. Um, and the reason I think it's kind of like a fool's errand for them is because, you know, obviously the Senate's not going to go along with it in the end. And they're going to wind up looking, you know, sadly, the Republicans don't do this as well as the Democrats do. Yeah. The Democrats being the party of Hollywood, they sold their impeachments. In fact, they went as far for the second one to bring in a Hollywood producer. Right, yeah, for that J6 their- hearing. Incredible. Yeah, like they, they literally produced it, you know, with all the bells and whistles, hair and makeup, you name it. And, uh, you know, the truth is the Republicans will just look obstructionist and politically petty, whereas the Democrats, they because they lead on emotion, they're very good in this day and age where people are so intellectually lazy and their emotions are their facts. The <laughs> Democrats are good at catering to emotion. That's pretty much the way they, they advance every policy agenda item is vote our way or people will die. Vote our way or you're a bigot. You know, it's crazy. But that's what went on yesterday with Riley Gaines on Capitol Hill. She's being told, you know, let biological men swim against women or they're all going to die. Where's your sense of consideration? Which is crazy. I mean, you know that. And, uh, you know, the only thing I would say to your audience really, really quickly is when it comes to like men competing against women. Okay, the winner of the New York City Marathon beats the winner. The men's winner beats the women's winner by 15 minutes. Okay, that's a really big advantage. That's three miles in a race. You know, or if you thought of it like the movie Rocky, if you took Rocky three, if Mr. T changed his name to Mrs. T and fought Adrian instead of Rocky, you'd all bet your money on Mrs. T. And that's everything you need to know about whether or not it's fair. I love it. Jimmy Fallon, let everybody know where they could follow you and keep up to speed with what you're doing. Oh, man, you just got to listen. Uh, FoxacrossAmerica.com is where you can get my radio show. You can also get the podcast. And I'm on the, you know, the Fox News channel all weekend long. Uh, I'm not really getting booked as much as it looks. I just sneak onto the set. And it's live TV. They can't throw you off the set once you're in the shot, you know. Outstanding. Well, brother, thanks for checking in with us. Hope to do it again with you really soon, everybody. Jimmy Fallon, give him a follow. Check him out. And Godspeed to you, brother. Keep it up. You too, my man. Miss you already. All care. right. Yes, sir. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about this submarine implosion, which some are suggesting the Biden administration knew, the Coast Guard, everybody knew what was going on on Sunday. Why did we maintain the charade? Was it to control the news cycle? Who knows? We're going to check in with Jonathan Gillum, former Navy SEAL and FBI agent. He's coming up next. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night, and we're coming right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. vehicle from the vessel Horizon Arctic discovered the tail cone of the Titan submersible approximately 1,600 feet from the bow of the Titanic on the seafloor. That is Rear Admiral John Mauger. He's the first district commander for the United States Coast Guard announcing that this vessel, this uh, submersible, imploded. And uh, they found particles of it. Uh, now, th- that was my initial thinking when they said it gone missing. I was thinking, how does it really go missing? Is it going to sink? It's a submarine. So it either popped or exploded or, you know, something happened to it. It crashed into something, maybe got stuck. Uh, but I didn't think that there were going to be survivors. When they started saying it was 12,000 feet below um, the uh, sea level, I thought, man, this sounds uh, very unfortunate. But I want to bring in uh, former Navy SEAL, former FBI agent, Jonathan Gillum, friend of the program. You've heard him here before because uh, he's got a unique perspective on these things. And I- I've never been on a submarine. Jonathan Gillum, welcome back. Hey, good to be with you, my friend. You bet. So what's your take? Do you think that uh, this is on the level? Do you think they knew uh, I guess the the real question is, what did they know and when did they know it? A lot of people are saying people dragged their feet here. Well, I don't know why. I mean, goodness, the the, the size of the area which they searched um, was tremendous. Uh, I did see a report that uh, the Navy and, and why this is being reported, I have no idea because there's no need for anyone to know it. OK, uh, mm-hmm. the Navy is reporting that they used uh, some uh, secret technology uh, and that they heard uh, the implosion um, when it occurred. Now, whether they heard it as it occurred or it was recorded and then reviewed later on, and that's one of the ways that they helped determine that uh, in the location that it was at, that could actually be the case. But regardless, they found it. I don't know why we have to tell people uh, the reality of the technology that they use. They could have just said it was spotted, they found it, and left it there. Um, so I, I think people uh, that are concerned whether or not they're dragging their feet, it doesn't really it doesn't matter in this case because most likely the vessel imploded, which means they were all killed instantly. And it doesn't matter if it took them, you know, two hours or a week, um, you know, the, the fact that they found it in the time that they did and the size of the lo- of the, uh, the search area is uh, more impressive than what most people really can understand. All right. It's interesting, interesting take. And, and I, I wasn't, maybe I phrased it wrong. The, the report that I saw was Miranda Devine, New York Post saying that uh, the Biden administration dragged their feet because they knew about this on Sunday when it happened is what they're saying, where she was saying, and that they didn't announce it until Thursday. And 
you know, she speculated as to the reason, something about covering up for the news on Hunter Biden. I don't know how realistic that is, but nothing seems to surprise me in this world of politics. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me either. And that very well could be. But based on the the that report that I saw about the technology, that may be why it was delayed. I, I mean, I don't put anything past the vines. I could totally see them using this. I mean, heck, he uses his own son's death um, to uh, make it sound like, you know, he has something to do with the Iraq war and nonsense like that, just to uh, make uh, Joe Biden does it to make himself look better. That's not true. So I could see him doing that in this case. But um, but I think when when you look at the the, the scope and size of the uh, the location that they searched, I mean, that would be like looking for your car from 13,000 feet up over uh, the, over Texas, and it could be anywhere in Texas. I mean, that's the extent of this. So two, wow. two, the size of two Connecticut's is what they searched, basically. So that's it's pretty uh, amazing that they were able to locate. And how ironic that it's you know a thousand feet off uh, from the the front of the Titanic. You know, I mean that's that's very ironic, very uh, odd, and. Um, yeah, and uh, I guess that's not the first submarine that sank there because I believe the first submarine that we had ever sink wasn't too far from that location either. Unbelievable, folks. We're on with Jonathan Gillum, former Navy SEAL, former FBI agent. Uh, we're going to continue on this thread, and we're going to add a couple of other things. So I want to get into uh, some of this Hunter Biden stuff. Um, we spoke with a couple of prosecutors, but we haven't spoken with any former FBI guys, and I'd like to get your take on that straight ahead. Let me give out the phone number. It's 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Jonathan Gillum's our guest. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-4. Valdez. All right, welcome back. Our guest is Jonathan Gillum, and uh, he's a former FBI agent, retired Navy SEAL. Jonathan Gillum, uh, earlier today, uh, there was a press conference on Capitol Hill, I'm sure you heard about it, where uh, the several members of Congress surrounded uh, Representative Jason Smith and saying that, you know, just reiterating that these whistleblowers are saying that they were told to lay off of the whole tax issue. Uh, on the Hunter Biden investigation. And we've seen the the indictment against him, or at least what he agreed to, to plead guilty to, uh, the plea deal. And it, it seems to me he's getting a, a deal that is better than what most people would get from what I gather. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think I think one of the, the all these whistleblowers, all right, we have had no whistleblowers come out and say that Joe Biden is getting a raw deal or that they were forced 
to um, manufacture evidence against Trump, right? There's been not one whistleblower that's ever come out and said any of that stuff. All these people from multiple agencies have all come out and said the same thing, that uh, they were pressured to to suppress evidence or they just couldn't uh, uh, move an investigation forward. Or when they said they didn't feel like it was ethical or legal to take part in something, they got punished for it uh, that had to do with Trump. So I think that alone is, I mean, that that is enough evidence. If this was a public corruption case uh, that was going forward, I, I think that's enough evidence right there uh, to om- potentially get a conviction in a court, a fair court. But uh, what we see here is that it, evidence of a continued conspiracy between um, multiple uh, executives in Washington, D.C., social media companies. The FBI seems to always be involved with this. The DOJ is always there. And uh, in, in the cases like um, there's been FBI agents that were uh, are in jail now whose names came up on uh, Hunter Biden's laptop who got you know put in jail and charged with uh, a criminal offense, but it wasn't considered foreign counterintelligence, even though their name was mentioned by Hunter Biden in an email to China. So there's all these things, Rich, that we see that uh, go far beyond circumstantial evidence to the point where it is clearly showing that the, uh, that the federal government, as people have been hearing for a long time, has been weaponized, um, that it's weaponized by the left against everybody else, really, for that matter. And I think when we throw things like the COVID issue in there, when we throw things like that had to do with COVID, the elderly clinics all across the country and how they were managed and how they worked together, and then no investigations ever were pushed through. And we look at all these things, we see how the left continuously manipulates uh, the federal government and all the law enforcement agencies. And I think that press conference that we saw today, which I posted uh, the video uh, of that on Twitter, it, it's shocking. It's shocking mm-hmm. that nothing goes forward in any of this stuff. Jonathan Gillum, we have a, um, somebody has a question for you. Doc from Wilmington, Delaware, WDEL is calling in. Doc, you're on with Jonathan Gillum and me, Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Thanks. Thank you for taking my call, Richard. Mr. Gillum, you're a patriot. Thank you for Thank having you. me forward, sir. Mr. Gillum. As an ex-Navy combat SEAL and as an ex-FBI agent, do you think we're going to have – this is my main question to you, sir, and it's, I'll make it brief. I don't want to take up your time. Uh, do you think we'll have more whistleblowers come forward, and will any FBI agents out themselves at the risk of their career or DOJ people at the risk of their careers, as people have done so so, so far, sir, out themselves to uh, – in the Hunter Biden case or other cases? Your thoughts, sir? I think it's an excellent question, and here's my fear – is that I think we're going to see fewer. Uh, I mean, we could see more. There's, there's definitely more out there. But I think we're going to see fewer uh, whistleblowers because the proof has been that if you, if you make a stink about anything that has to do with Hunter Biden or Joe Biden or goes against the left, it is not going to end well for you. So, you know, we – they get a lot of people in the FBI and all these other agencies to get a lot of flack because people say, well, why didn't you come forward? That's the you know patriotic or the ethical thing to do is come forward. 
but it's his history as of recent time has shown that if you come forward mm-hmm. and uh, and blow the whistle, your career's over with. So we're in a bad predicament. And here's here's uh, here's what I think. So that's the problem. I'm gonna give you a solution for that problem. I think that the House Oversight Committee and the Intelligence Committees should start running sources, not just doing investigations. I think they should, instead of whistleblowers, they should go out and get sources, and they should develop their own cases. They should find out from the people in the FBI and in the IRS who's in charge of these cases that keep oppressing the evidence. Who are the the agents that are working these that seem to always be involved? And then find out things like the Burisma uh, uh, source that they had that came forward with all this information on these 1023s. Find the guy offering more money and protection if you have to. That's what Congress should start doing. There's no law that says that they can't do that. And that's what these committees should start doing. And once they get enough information, they should take that evidence and carefully find a judge, a federal judge, that will take that case forward. And that is probably the only way that any of this stuff is just skip the Department of Justice, skip the FBI, do their own investigations, run their own sources, develop their own cases and take it to a judge. Well said. Excellent analysis. Uh, Doc, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Jonathan Gillum, stick with us. I want to get your um, opinion on whether or not we get a President Harris should Biden run and win. Uh, That's a scary proposition, but um, I know that you've had some discussion on that recently. We're going to discuss that and more on 2024 with Jonathan Gillum. Straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And our guest is Jonathan Gillum. You can check him out at jonathangillum.com. That's G-I-L-L-I-A-M, jonathangillum.com. Former Navy SEAL, former FBI agent. And Jonathan Gillum, Tulsi Gabbard and some other Dem insiders last week said that um, they believe that they're going to install Kamala Harris as she kind of gets in with Biden and then uh, he disappears and, you know, marches off into the sunset. Uh, do you believe that analysis is accurate? Yes or no? I mean, it could be accurate. I mean, listen, there's two, two thing, huge things in what you just said, right? One, uh, let's just start backwards. Um, sure. You know, Washington insiders who hate the Democrat Party, who've been shunned by the Democrat Party, are more <laughs> likely to tell the truth than people who are actively participating overtly in the Democrat Party. The second thing is Tulsi Gabbard is a leftist, and Tulsi Gabbard, the only reason why she hates the Democrat Party is because the Democrat Party hated her first. And why they hate her, I don't know. I have my speculation for my reasons why. But people should realize that while they're praising Tulsi Gabbard, um, she's never said that she uh, turned that she denounces abortion, 
she has never supported the Second Amendment. She supports Bernie Sanders. She marched mm-hmm. with Antifa. You know, this is a person who um, is a leftist, right? So this is a game that's being played out there um, with, with uh, our uh, country by leftists and, that are active and not active. And, and I don't know what's going to happen with Harris and Biden. I do know, though, based on investigative uh, uh, viewpoints and looking at the, at the way, the behaviors that all these people on the left uh, consistently um, spew is that they want Joe Biden reelected. They don't, they don't want anybody else. They want Joe Biden. And so he's, you know, he, from our point of view, he's a terrible president. So you have to ask, why would they want Joe Biden as president? And it's because he's not a president. He is an, a criminal that sits in the office of the United, uh, the president of the United States and utilizes his position in power uh, for monetary and gain and gain of power. And that power is shared with other leftists. I don't even know if Joe Biden's a true leftist. I think he's just an opportunist and that's where mm-hmm. he fell. So oh, I agree with you. Um, I, I think it'd be a, a, a nightmare, whether it's Harris or Biden. Um, I, the, the weird thing about uh, Kamala Harris, though, is that I know people that are I know several people that are in law enforcement in San Francisco. This is back, you know, in the day when she was a prosecutor. And they said the person that she is is 180 degrees out from the person that they knew. The only hope there would be if she got in office that that person that she was would come back out uh, because she was a meat eater as a prosecutor and she, she dealt hard as a prosecutor, a prosecutor. So I don't know what happened somewhere along the way, but you know, I, I think we're, I think we're screwed either way, Rich, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, Jonathan Gillum, I think that you're right on everything. Um, and your analysis on Biden, I think is the same exact um, situation for, uh, for this woman, um, Kamala Harris, the vice president. I, I believe she's an opportunist and, and she needed to be yeah. tough. So she was tough. Now she needs to be, uh, you know, very, uh, leftist sympathizing. So she is, uh, I think that's it. Her game is power. Now you brought up something really good. I'm not, I'm not a fan of Tulsi Gabbard. I don't know her. I've invited her on this program when they had sent the pitch to the, to the show and invited her on and she didn't accept. And Tulsi, if you're listening, please come on and prove to us you're not a leftist. I know you denounced the Democrat Party, but I have no reason to believe that. I agree with you. She was the co-chair of Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign committee. He's one of the biggest leftists out there. I like to call him AOC's communist grandpa. So, it, you know, if you can support that guy, uh, I don't know how on earth, you know, people have called here saying she should be Trump's running mate. That's absolute oh, insanity to me. That, uh, but I agree with insanity. you. What, what yeah, you said I, you had your own reasons. Share with me, because I'm, I'm very curious. My own reasons for with her? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think when we look at who she is, I mean, you, we have this thing in the investigative world called the totality of the circumstances. We look at everything. We don't just look at what we want to see. We don't just look at what is the most obvious evidence. We look at the totality of the circumstances, the totality of the evidence. And what, what you'll see when you do that is that behaviors past and present, um, sometimes they don't align. Like for, for a, a good example of this, right, uh, we'll use John McCain. And just to show you that, that I'm not just picking on Tulsi Gabbard, John McCain did a heroic thing way back when, when he was a, a POW, mm-hmm. right? But the rest of his career in the Navy was not that great. 
and then his career as a politician was absolutely uh, abhorrent, right? So, yeah. so you, you cannot make a person a hero because of one thing they did as a heroic act. Same thing with Tulsi well Gabbard. Well put, sir. Jonathan Gillum, former Navy SEAL, former FBI agent. Check him out at jonathangillum.com. That's G-I-L-L-I-A-M. Jonathan Gillum, thank you. As always, great analysis. I appreciate it, sir. Godspeed. Got it, buddy. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our discussions on all of the crazy stuff. We've got China. We've got Gen Z. We've got your calls. We'll be right back. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you this Thursday evening, hour number two of our program. This is our late-night national town hall forum where you get to weigh in, and we discuss everything that's going on during the daytime and break it down here at nighttime. The phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. If you want to join us, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, the uh, Titan submersible, I guess it, when it's really small, you can't call it a little submarine or a mini submarine. You have to call it a submersible. And the Titan submersible implosion was likely instantaneous. The five victims, um, it's being reported here from an expert that they didn't know uh, they were having any pain. So um, I guess that provides some solace. And of course, condolences to that family. The... Um, story is interesting. The timing is interesting, but it's unfortunate nonetheless. Now, we also have a press conference today on Capitol Hill where lawmakers are saying, you know what? The White House, with the aid of the DOJ, ran interference on the Hunter Biden investigation. And it's not the first time we've heard it, but we continue to hear it. And this is problematic. Now, adding to that, we've got President Obama. Now you're thinking, what does Obama have to do with any of this? Well, Obama was on CNN today, and uh, he was discussing China and how they put the, the Uyghurs in, in um, massive camps, and it's troubling, but he says it's really climate is the problem that transcends everything. Listen to this. You know, I dealt with China to get the Paris Accords done. Uh, I dealt with Modi to get the Paris Accords done because I think climate change is something that transcends, uh, you know, any... Uh, particular momentary uh, issues. It, it, it's, a, it's a problem that humanity's got to deal with over the next several decades in a serious way. Um, I do think that it is appropriate for the President of the United States, uh, where he or she can, to uphold uh, those principles and to challenge, uh, whether behind closed doors or in public, um, trends that are troubling. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I'm less concerned about labels than I'm concerned about, you know, specific practices. Uh, you know, I think it is important for the president of the United States 
to say that if uh, you have Uyghurs in China uh, who are being placed in mass camps uh, and re-educated, quote unquote, uh, that's a problem. That, that's a challenge to all of us. Uh, and, and we have to pay attention to it. Of course, we have to pay attention to that problem, but it's not like climate change that we have to address over the next several decades. Uh, it's just astonishing to me that the extinction of a people group uh, is something that comes secondary to an issue like climate change. Anyway, that's not the only thing where China throws its weight around. I mean, China also likes to um, mistreat anybody they can, right? And right now the latest is the, the pressure that they put on people who are making songs that are pro-democracy, right? Right now, uh, Apple Music, iTunes, they're, they're taking down pro-democracy songs after a DOJ, uh, Hong Kong DOJ, right? A Department of Justice out of Hong Kong um, applied for an injunction to ban the song because they didn't like what was in it. I mean, it's just amazing the way things work in, in that part of the world. Anyway, I want to get to the bottom of this. And our guest is Nan Su. He is from the Epic Times. Nan Su, welcome to the program. Oh, hi, Rich. Thank you for having me uh, tonight. My pleasure. Now, I want to get into this. There's a lot to talk about. Let's take our time with it. Um, Help me understand here. And I I know that they do whatever they want, but I thought there was uh, democracy in in Hong Kong. is this solely pressure from Beijing, or is there uh, more to the story? Well, first of all, uh, I don't think we have democracy in Hong Kong anymore. Uh, okay. uh, so the, the, the Hong Kong right now, it's, uh, it's no different than any other city inside the inland China. Uh, so uh, the and one... Uh, one country, two political system, that kind of uh, setup, it's entirely gone now. So uh, so what happened is uh, uh, Hong Kong's authority trying to, they already fired uh, a lawsuit in the, uh, or fire a request uh, you know, to their legal system, to the court. So they want to ban this song called uh, uh, Glory to Hong Kong. The song was uh, uh, written and composed uh, back in 2019, during the whole year-long pro-democracy, anti-extradition movement, oh, yeah. uh, uh, and and it was so so popular, popular, uh, you know, so that a lot of people all all around the world, the people, uh, especially Chinese people who supported uh, the movement, uh, actually called this song the national anthem of Hong Kong. Now, uh, now, of course, Beijing didn't like it, so uh, Hong Kong's authority, therefore, of course, based on the Hong Kong security and um, security law, they fired that uh, injunction. Now, the, the the disturbing part of the of this story is now the the authorities uh, make the fi- uh, filing uh, on June fifth. Now, on Tuesday. Within 48 hours of that filing, now that uh, that's the different versions of the song occupied eight out of a ten top spots wow. uh, in iTunes Music, and on on the on the third day, you know, uh, in the morning of uh, June 8th, it, it was for 
you know, a short period of time, a different different versions of this song actually, you know, occupy all top. Oh, I see. I was wondering how one song could be like number one, number two, number three, all the way to number eight. So you're saying different versions of the song occupied. That's amazing. Yeah, there was many different versions of this song, you know, uh, like, like, you know, there are people singing Cantonese and people singing Chinese and then people sing, uh, you know, with different kind of a uh, music combination. So, uh, so you occupied all 10 top uh, spots. Now here is the, you know, the Hong Kong, uh, superior core, not the superior, but the Hong Kong core. I have not made, we have not heard the, the final decision if they're going to ban the song yet. But uh, however, uh, Apple uh, start taking down iTube start taking down of this song on the 14th. So that was like uh, what that was like a whole weeks ago. They they already start yeah. taking down all these songs, and it, this was not the first time Apple doing that. Uh, remember in December of last year. Um, during the the massive uh, uh, and uh, people people uh, protesters that protest against the uh, Chinese government's zero COVID policy. Oh you know, yeah. Uh, the pro- remember the protesters trying to spread the information by the eyedrop. Um, airdrop. Yeah, and they stopped it. Apple's airdrop function, right? Because if you send the information out by email or by text message, then you know later people can. You know the authority can and trace on you. There was a trace they can track. You know, track down who you send sending this information or where this information you receive. But but while the people using the airdrop, you know, the government, the authority cannot track down uh, what how the inform, uh, information was spread. So uh, so actually, you know, because the function uh, it's so effective and and Apple shut down the function in China. So it's disturbing that American corporations actually can do that in China. Well, I, I believe, and again, you correct me if I'm wrong, you are the senior investigative reporter for the Epic Times. Uh, I feel like you're up to speed on this better than me. But um, my thinking was back when they did that with the airdrop, that was uh, purely Beijing putting pressure on Apple. Do you think that's the same case now? Or is it like pro-Beijing uh, politicians yeah, inside of Hong Kong? Yeah, it's either that or, uh, you know, Apple um, Apple Corporation management, then, then they, they see the kind of a risk, then they self-censor themselves. Oh. So we don't know which case it's, uh, it's more likely. That's a scary thought. Folks, we're on with Nan Su. He is the senior investigative reporter at the Epic Times. We're discussing how the Department of Justice in Hong Kong decided to censor a song, a song on Apple iTunes, because it was popular at one point occupying uh, the top eight of the top 10 slots on the music charts. So stick with us. If you have a question, feel free to give us a call. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
on China, Mr. President. Um, can uh, Secretary Blinken ease tensions with China on this trip, do you think? Sure, well, look. Um, China has some legitimate difficulties unrelated to the, unrelated to the United States. And uh, I think one of the things that, that balloon caused was not so much that it got shot down, but I don't think the leadership knew where it was and knew what was in it and knew what was going on. Was, I think it was more embarrassing than it was intentional. So China's got everybody making excuses for them, whether it's Apple or Joe Biden. Our guest is Nan Su, senior investigative reporter from the Epic Times. Nan Su, I want to talk about the, those comments, uh, if, if you have any reporting on it that you could share, because Biden's comments to me are concerning, where it seems like he refuses to place any culpability on China. Is this a trend that you've reported on in the past? Uh, you mean the, about the spy balloon? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think that uh, 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 President Biden's comment, uh, to a certain extent, uh, it's probably what has uh, really going on. The top leadership didn't really know every detail of that uh, uh, the, uh, the spy balloon process. Uh, but however, you know, it's uh, it's a, it's a, you know, you don't expect that uh, the top leadership know every detail of every op- uh, operation. So they usually just receive certain uh, general instructions uh, to do something, right? When 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 all the, the gen- once they get gave the general direction of the movement, then you know every. Uh, level of the government and the military, they would decide what how they are going to pursue it. So uh, uh, that's just the process. Uh, so you, you you don't use that process to, to make an excuse uh, for the Chinese top leadership uh, on doing these kind of things. Yeah, let me ask you a question. Let, let us uh, presume, and this is hypothetical, of course, that there was an American spy balloon over Beijing and they shot it down and they turned around and said, this is a very serious offense. We, we don't appreciate it. And Biden were to say, uh, well, you know, I, I didn't know it was there. Do you think that they'd believe him or do you think that, you know, he'd just be playing coy? Well, you know, they will make no apology for shutting down and they will not make any excuse for uh, for President Biden. So uh, uh, I think that we just need to really focus on the fact. You know, the fact is this is uh, American sovereignty and you shouldn't send a spy balloon to American, uh, you, know, uh, you know, to the sovereignty uh, that sure. is supposed to belong to the United States. You're just not supposed to do that. Right. Yeah, I agree. Nansu, let everybody know that's listening how they can um, take a look at your columns and uh, follow the work that you're doing with the Epic Times. Oh, yeah. Just go to the epochtimes.com. It's a that E-P-O-C-H, that epochtimes.com. And you see all of our uh, publications, all our reports. And specifically, I want everyone to 
to go to the website or just Google The Final War. It's a newly uh, released documentary that talk about uh, the Chinese Communist 100-year plan. They actually have a 100-year plan uh, uh, starting from 1949 when they took over control of China. They have a 100-year plan by the year of 2049 to take down the leader of the free world, the United States. Wow. Say it again really loud, really clear, uh, the name of the, the documentary. It sounds really interesting. The Final War. The Final War. Wow, that's really good. Um, and is that available now on Epic TV, or how do we uh, how do we watch yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, you, all you need to do just the easiest way is just Google. It. You will come out on the top of the search, the Final War, and you, it talk about many different aspects of uh, this war, and you know, and talk about the uh, in the middle of the '90s, Chinese uh, military strategists that started something called unrestricted and unconventional warfare uh, mm-hmm. against the United States. It's a warfare, take any form they can reach and they can use, including economic warfare, financial warfare, cultural warfare, uh, technological warfare. You know, Americans uh, have not aware that they, China has been in war against us for more than, like, uh, you know, almost 30 years. And so far, the only form of warfare that has not taken place. It's a military warfare. And it seems they're so effective at this unrestricted warfare that they don't really need the military power because they can do so much with the other methods. That It's correct. You're absolutely right on that. What a shame. Folks, check out the documentary, The Final War. Nansu, uh, I appreciate you coming on with us. The... Um, Website again is uh, theepictimes.com, theepictimes.com. Nansu, thank you for being with us. Oh, Rich, thank you for having me tonight. It's my pleasure. Good luck with everything. Now, straight ahead, we're going to continue our discussions where there is now a battle, a debacle between Gen Z and baby boomers. Thankfully, it's not with me in the Gen X crowd. Uh, But um, I'm curious to to learn more about what is at stake in this battle between Gen Z and the baby boomers. And, of course, if you watch TV long enough, you'll see we're we're at war. We have our own unrestricted warfare uh, with with the culture uh, with respect to different generations in America. Some that, um, you know, like to do things one way versus another. So we're going to get to that straight ahead. Plus your calls, 833-4-VALDES, 833-4-VALDES is the phone number. And I want you to stick with us. I think you're really going to enjoy this next segment. It's with Valerie Sokolowski. She's a nationally recognized author and speaker. And she wrote the book, Do It Right. So don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S. 
All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, and uh, we're, we're having a discussion here, right? A discussion on Generation Z calling out the baby boomers for their annoying workplace habits. There's a new survey that's out, and the youngest workers are, you know, stepping now into America's workforce, and uh, they're going at it with the oldest group of workers in America, and it's leading to um, some interesting habits that they say are irritating to to the new um, the new workforce, the Gen Zers. We're going to talk about it. Our guest, Valerie Sokolowski, nationally recognized author and speaker. She's the author of Do It Right. Valerie Sokolowski, welcome. Thank you, Rich. It's a joy to be with you this evening. Oh, thank you. Likewise, I appreciate you coming and uh, helping us through this because, you know, I got to tell you, I have um, two children. I think they're both in Generation Z, but I still don't understand them, right? And not because they're my children. I, just, I think it's, a, <laughs> it's an interesting uh, generation to understand. Now, I'm looking at an article uh, where... Uh, the headline is Generation Z calls out baby boomers for annoying workplace habits. And it's in Fox Business. And uh, I'm wondering um, if you could walk us through this, because I find of all the things we could we could bicker about, why this? <laughs> Just one more thing, Rich. Just one yeah. more thing to talk about. Well, you know, first of all, it, it's sort of uh, sad when we generalize and group any group, the boomers, the Gen Z, mm. the millennials, quote, they're all like this. This bothers them. And I will just say, as uh, someone that goes in and out of corporations doing leadership workshops, I find that the Gen Zs who are in attendance are extremely bright. They have so many talents that they bring to the table. And then on the other side, when I'm working with the executives in the companies, most of them are very appreciative of what they bring to the table. So you can read these articles and so forth, but I think it all goes back to an individual, a person who's a Gen Z, a person who's a boomer. So it just bothers me, I guess, Rich, when we're clumped together as if we all think the same thing. You know, you and me both, I, I try not to be a collectivist by nature, and I, I, I appreciate individualism. And it's something that my Gen Z daughter always reminds me of. She always says, you know, Dad, don't group us because we're all individuals. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it really bothers her. That's right. What are some of these annoying habits? Well, so <laughs> I'll share with you what I hear from both. The boomers that I talk with, are are bothered by the fact that Gen Zs, quote, want to have it their way, their way, the way they want to do it. Now, this is clumping again, so forgive mm -hmm. me for this, but that's the question. Um, and so they, and I'll give you an example of they, I was talking with four people who were on a panel, and each of these were executives in different industries, and they all were in the process or in the, the aspect of working with Gen Z's. And so I asked this very question, like, well, what are they like? What's it like to work with them and so forth? And to the person, they said what we appreciate them about them are their gifts and their talents. What we don't appreciate about them is some of them 
tend to be, what about me? What about me? I call that rich whamming, W-A-M. What (laughs) about me? What about me? What about me? What about me? It's not all about you. (laughs) Other people involved. Sure. So that's a long answer for the short question. And uh, forgive me, but I feel like there's always been generational conflict in any workplace, right? If you go, there's always the new guy, the old guy. Uh, This doesn't seem new to me. Um, Is it something that's just going unaddressed or is it exacerbated to a point that's more noticeable than years past? What say you? Well, I, again, I'll just say, I think that the clumping of information with an article or survey or anything else is, is dangerous. I will tell you that the leaders that I work with are tending to be very flexible with flex time and with the employees because you know what? Leaders are all about, if you're a leader, you expect people to follow you. If you turn around and no one's there to follow you, then you're not leading anywhere and anyone, right? So most leaders I work with are very willing to compromise to collaborate, to try to come up with a solution that works for the company. And I think the issue there too, Rich, is we we forget about, it's all about the customer. These articles never talk about the customer. Well, whether you're coming to work every day, nine to five, like we used to, or whether you're staying at home in your pajamas and doing a lot of great work or somewhere in between, how well is your work affecting a customer? And frankly, the ROI of the company. That's what leaders that I work with are focusing on. Not the fact that they want to do this or they won't do that. They look at the bottom line. And so the boomer will say, I'm told, hey, you know what? As long as you get your work done, this is the goal. This is what I expect. This is the timeline. Get it done. And if it's done, it's done. Great. So there's a lot more flexibility, I think, in the workplace today. And that's a good thing, in my opinion. It's just changed. And Rich, I don't think it will ever go back. I think we are in a time where things are changing. And that calls for a lot of leadership competencies like flexibility, um, collaboration, good communication. One of the things that Gen Z's are saying to me is, we don't need all these meetings. We're meetinged out. I don't want another Zoom call. I'm a zombie on Zoom these days. I don't want to have to get dressed up and be on a Zoom call. So, gosh, I may show up in my whatevers. <laughs> yeah, so, I can uh, give an amen to that. Okay. So I was going to throw, back, throw it back to you. What do your children uh, say to you about this? You know, my kids, and that's that's the funny part, they, they never really complained about anybody. They've always complained about me. You know, like, you know, I'd say, you know, <laughs> you know, did you hear about whatever? And they'll be like, no, we don't watch the news, Dad. And and, and that's, uh, they say it all the time, like in <laughs> unison, we don't watch the news, Dad. And and uh, it's very funny. But I'm like, you, you got to know what's mm-hmm. going on. Like, how do you check the weather? And they're like, we look at our phone. And I was like, oh, okay. It's, you know, it's just new <laughs> habits for, for different people. Uh, but f- folks, we're going to get to your calls momentarily as well as uh, a little bit about uh, Valerie Sokolowski's book. Uh, she's a leadership development expert. You can find more about her at ValerieAndCompany.com. She wrote the book, 
And uh, let me see. Hold on. Don't go anywhere. Do it. Do it right. There do you go. Right. Thanks That's for bailing me out. Yep. You're right. <laughs> my, my screen froze. Do it right. And we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. We're on with our guest, Valerie Sokolowski. She's the author of Do It Right. Valerie, tell us about the book. Oh, thank you for asking. You know what? It is a really quick uh, tip, tip, tip. There's just categorically, everything is in quick little snippets of tips. For instance, how to show up professionally, several tips. How to communicate with clarity, several tips. So it's more of a quick read instead of a, a book that you're going to absorb. You can pick it up and get answers really quickly. What are some of the questions that you answer in the book? Oh, my goodness. I try to tell a lot. I try. I tell a lot of stories. I think stories are sticky. And on mm-hmm. that note, um, so t- to answer your question, the categories are your image, uh, how you show up, as I say, you know, when you get to thinking about a person, there's two aspects of us. First, it's just the depth of who you are. Do you even really know the depth of your strengths and capabilities and competencies? Do you know and own them? That's the inside part. Then the external part is, so how do you show them? How do you demonstrate them out in the workplace and in your community and in your family and so forth? So internal and external. That's uh, that's kind of what it's all about. And um, I want to make a point back to our conversation earlier, Rich. Sure. <clears throat> you know, relationships are really what life is about. The better your soft skills, the more likely you are to be a good communicator. And communication is key in any environment. And I want to tell you a story about that, speaking of stories. I was working early on with a man that owned a sales training company. And he came to me and he said, listen, I'm going to start a sales training company and you've got those soft skills. But he said it like this. You've got those soft skills. (laughs) The voice Mm. went down. And I remember right then I was inside a little flaring, but I didn't say anything. So I said, well, great. That sounds good. Let's do it. So we started this organization. And for the first nine months, Rich, I was learning his sales training program. I was selling his sales training program. I was developing more sales training programs. And one day, nine months later, I went in and I'll call him George and said, George, you know, this is great fun work, but for nine months, we focused on your stuff. When are you going to bring my work in? 
And without a hesitation, Rich, he said, we're not. And I looked at him like, you know, deer in headlights. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I don't really think, Valerie, that companies will ever pay for soft skills because people are just supposed to have them. Well, I've made a living at it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> now, Valerie, let everybody know where they can get a copy of the book. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, there's actually two on Amazon right now. That's it, Amazon. And the other one is called Monday Morning Leadership for Women. And that's a fun book. I would. <laughs> it's a conversation, Rich, between a mentor and a mentee that meet at yoga. And the mentor takes on this young woman and mentors her through the chapters of the book. So it's really kind of fun because you're learning the lessons about leadership, but through a conversation. Outstanding work. Sounds interesting. I'm looking forward to getting a copy. Folks, get a copy of the book, Do It Right. Uh, go to her website, ValerieAndCompany.com, or get it wherever you get your books. Valerie Sokolowski, thank you for being with us and uh, joining us to share all this information. It's been a joy. Thank you so much, and be patient with your Gen Zers. <laughs> thank you. All right, folks, your calls are coming straight up after this. Don't go anywhere. 833-4-VALDEZ. Plus, in the next hour, we've got a special for you, uh, Andy Berger and Human Trafficking. We're going to dedicate the whole hour to human trafficking with our guest, Andy Berger. That's coming up. Uh, but first, your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Make sure you chime in online. Uh, check out the website, richvaldezamericaatnight.com, and uh, give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Paul, <clears throat> Streetsboro, Ohio, WNIR, near Akron. Go right ahead. Yeah, hi, Rich. Welcome. Okay. Um, I just... I've been listening to that last segment, segment uh, about seven minutes, and I'm just first. Could you, yeah, clarify what she just said? I heard her refer to Gen Z, go easy on them. I heard her refer <laughs> to a few things. But sure. The, what, just... what, what, the topic was about a couple of things. We, we had two separate ones. The first one was there is a, uh, a rift that's being reported by a new survey put out by Fox News, Fox Business rather, that Gen Z uh, workers find certain habits of baby boomers to be very annoying. Uh, some of those habits are like having meetings per se, um, which I'm not a Gen Zer, but I've always felt that meetings are very unproductive, right? It's just a great way to waste time and for people to listen to the sound of their own voice. And I think for that, just get into talk radio, right? So everybody, it's an optional meeting. You can meet here for three hours or not, but don't do it while we're all on the clock. So that was uh, the first part of it. The second part, we were talking about the uh, the tips that she offers in her book. Did we lose you, Paul? No, I'm here. I said, all right. right. So what's on yeah. your mind? 
Uh, I think that the world has turned into something that five years ago and actually beginning 10 years ago, but five years ago and lesser and lesser is being recognized, but it's still here. The gig economy. Oh yeah. Okay. Now for the last five years, in fact, I'm over here in East Ohio from Michigan to check up on some blood pressure machine kiosk, you know, the ones at the pharmacies and places like that. You sit down, you put your arm in the cuff and it it gives you a reading. Yeah. And the company that I started with five years ago got bought by a company in Texas three years ago. And we're still trying to work out the bugs. And then they, about a year ago, they hired a woman as an operations manager who is trying to change everything. Yeah. And it's like, is the woman they hired a Gen Z person? No, I think she's like close to 50. Well, I mean, it's not that uncommon for people to take over a company and change the way things are done. Uh, we're, we're, we're seeing it with a lot of companies, not the least of which is Bud Light. They're saying that when this new company, um, took over for, for that brand or whatever, when they sold Anheuser-Busch and some other company acquired it, they've made all these decisions um, like this current controversy. So I, th- I think we see that pretty regularly, lamentably. Some, some people are, are willing to, to hurt their brand it, throughout a transition. Yeah, I, I think that it, it looks like a lot has... Uh, a lot. Listen, I've I've in checking up on these blood pressure machines. I visit corporation like all kinds of different places. I mean, yeah. corporation. Paul, for the, in the interest of time, we're going to run out of time. If you got a bottom line, lay it on us. Um, things are changing really for fast. the be- for for and the best or for the worst. Nothing's going to be like it used to be. Is that good there, there or bad? No, there's no retirement uh, on the economy anymore. Um, ah, no retirement. So you feel people will have to work forever. People are being used. That's what I, I would say. People are being used. All right. Well, thank you. Took a lot while to get there, but we got there. Thank you, Paul. Uh, I would love to have known why you think people are being used. That would have been good. Uh, good conversation. Maybe we could do that the next time you call in. I appreciate the call. Uh, we're going to have a special with Andy Berger coming up on human trafficking. Plus, I want to share a story with you uh, about um, my kid and her graduation yesterday. And uh, very interesting. Anyway, don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. We continue. the city that never sleeps. 
17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Our telephone number is the... It's the one it always is. Now listen, we are going to talk about human trafficking in a little bit with Andy Berger. Um, This is something I want to revisit, the discussion, a very important conversation that we've had, and I want to revisit it because I think it's so important. The border is out of control. The Democrats seem to continually turn a blind eye. It's almost like it's completely partisan. Like there isn't a Democrat other than Henry Cuellar that can look at the border and say, oh, my gosh, this is a disaster. But that's what's going on there. And the big problem here is the trafficking, right? The fentanyl. The fact that it's not just the illegal immigration. People aren't as cruel as you think. People want to help people. This is really about children coming in, unaccompanied minors, coming in with parents that they say are their parents. They're not really their parents. And that's why you have this family separation issue. So we're going to get into that with somebody who was on the front lines. And and you may have heard our conversation in the past, but I think it, it bears repeating because this is a very important conversation. Now, on the term of or the topic, I should say, of human trafficking, listen to this. Andrew Tate, the social media influencer, former uh, kickboxing champion. Well, several months ago, he was arrested uh, on what I thought were charges of uh, sexual assault and human trafficking in Romania. Well, apparently, he's finally been indicted. They held him all those months. He finally made bail, like, two weeks ago, did a couple of podcast interviews, and boom, he's back, right? They got him again, uh, according to a statement from local prosecutors uh, just um, the day before yesterday. They took Mr. Tate into custody again. Uh, Again, they had him in custody in December. Now he's being officially accused of rape and human trafficking and the creation of an organized crime group. His brother, Tristan, as well as two Romanian women, are facing similar charges. Now, a spokesperson for the Tate brothers expressed their determination to prove their innocence and restore their reputation. And hey, good for them. I hope they have their day in court. But this is a, it's a tough gig for them, right? This is really horrible. I would hate to be in their position. During the past six months, all of them have been in police custody, initially in jail and later under house arrest while awaiting the formal uh, filing of the charges against them. So the prosecutors made the following statement. In the case, it was noted at the beginning of 2021, the four defendants uh, constituted an organized criminal group in order to commit the crime of human trafficking on the territory of Romania, but also in other countries such as the United States and Great Britain. The injured persons were recruited by the foreign nationals by misleading them about the intention to establish a marriage or cohabitation relationship and the existence of real feelings of love, the lover boy method. They were later transported and housed in buildings in Ilfov County, whereby exercising acts of physical violence and mental coercion through intimidation, constant surveillance, control, uh, and invoking uh, alleged debt that they were sexually exploited by group members, 
by forcing them to perform demonstrations that were pornographic in nature so in order to produce and disseminate uh, the, the same through social media platforms and other materials having uh, such character. The seven injured persons identified during the criminal investigation were subjected to forced labor. And the indictment goes on. There's a whole string of things here, but I think you've heard enough. We know what the government is charging them with. What I haven't heard is anything from Andrew Tate. And I would love to hear his side of the story. And, you know, in, in, a, in America, you, you should have your day in court. You should also be able to, you know, clear your name. So, again, and I'm not saying I think he's innocent or guilty. I really don't know. I just think, you know, when, you, when you're making a lot of money and you're, you're successful, you tend to start to get a lot of enemies. And it's just unfortunate the way people target people that way. But nonetheless, that's the case. Andrew Tate locked up with his brother. Now, there's also an interesting story out of Miami. Listen to this. The victim in a human trafficking case against a Miami Beach doctor. It's two weeks before their trial. The victim just turned up dead. This happened in El Portal, Florida, where uh, Little River crosses Northeast 2nd Avenue. Um, trying to get real local flavor here. Local 10 News is reporting this. There was a... Uh, a body that belonged to a teen known as J.S., who accused a prominent Miami Beach doctor of filling her with drugs and paying her for sex. Dr. Jeffrey Camlet was set to go on trial July 3rd. Camlet, 68 years old, nationally recognized for his pain relief um, practice, and he's an addiction specialist. He remains licensed in Florida, but was accused of meeting the girl when she was only 17 and he met her on Tinder giving her cocaine and having sex with her for several hundred dollars. Oh boy. Now this goes on. So they uh, issued an arrest warrant for the guy and they're suggesting that JS, the, the now uh, deceased victim, uh, and another underage friend could live with the doctor if she followed the rules. Uh, the uh, warrant continued that Dr. Camlet told J.S. that if her pimp continued to harass him, he would have a couple of his guys take care of her pimp. Now, the cause of death and circumstances surrounding how J.S. came to be found in Little River are still under investigation. And th this is just a bizarre story. Uh, again, bad things happen all the time. But it's not every day that you hear that the, the victim in a case uh, goes missing. Usually it's like a, a witness in the case, but here it's the victim. Again, if the victim was the star witness, then that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I, I just don't see this doctor walking away from this. You know, the, the cops aren't that, that um, inept, right? They know what they're doing. And when you set these things up this way, they're going to come for you. And they're going to get you, especially if they think you're a predator, because typically predators can't help but prey. They prey on the weak. So they'll just keep setting up traps for this person, Dr. Kimlet, until he takes the bait, unless, in fact, he's not guilty. And again, that's a possibility. But human trafficking remains a big issue. Now, a couple of weeks ago, they, the um, Biden administration put out their annual report on human trafficking, saying that it's up and the numbers were up. The number for uh, trafficked boys was higher than for girls. Uh, a lot of eye-opening information coming from from this um, report. And we had some um, some audio from it last week. I don't know if you remember it, but 
it, it was just interesting to see how these numbers don't seem to be getting better. And people talk about this. It's very taboo when you're on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. And nobody wants to really address it head on. But I think if we don't address it head on, what are we doing? Right? We're wasting our time. So that's why I want to bring in Andy Berger and re replay this conversation that I had with her. Because I think it's, it's so important that we know what's going on at our southern border. Who's coming across. How they're coming across. How they're treating the people that they're bringing across. This is a very um, important topic a very sensitive topic and one where I think we can't just be easily um, dismissive. We can't just say, oh, you know what? But there are a bunch of illegal aliens and they're coming here to break the rules anyway. It goes beyond that. A lot of these kids are, are forced to come and they're kids. And, you know, uh, I've interviewed several of these um, trafficked victims in the past and th their stories are remarkable. It's no fault of their own. So folks, stick with us. Andy Berger, and her tale of human trafficking and all of her experience on the border. She's probably traveled the border more than anybody. Don't go anywhere. Enjoy the presentation. Welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of the social media and our telephone numbers, 833, I almost forgot it, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. If you want to call in the next few minutes to discuss human trafficking, you're welcome to do so. Our guest is Andy Berger. She's uh, the head of Voices Against Trafficking. That's VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. Andy Berger, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Rich. It's an honor to be here. And on behalf of Voices Against Trafficking, we just appreciate being on the program tonight. Uh, you know, we had a very special connection to Jim, and he spoke so respectfully of you. So we're just thrilled to be able to speak with you tonight and your listeners. Thank you. Amen to that. Uh, it's an honor to be here and an honor to speak with you as well. And I, I think this is um, this is one of the, the things that I, I like to talk about because I feel it's so often underreported and underdiscussed in the national discourse. I think we don't often pay enough attention to what's happening and, and lots of things happen. But I remember being a kid at quick sidebar here. And I remember every September, my mother would force me to watch this movie called Adam that came out on TV. And it was every year, like right before school started and she'd sit there and she'd be like, you know, they're stealing little kids. And I was like, all right, I don't want to watch this movie, mom. But the <laughs> point was, you know, she she was she made a point to, to impress that upon me. And it's never gone away. And I've realized they do steal kids, right? And they steal all sorts of people. And they, they do things with these people. And, you know, as I become uh, as I became an adult and a parent and, and uh, I've realized man, this is serious. You know, some of these people get jacked for their organs. Uh, some of them are put into slavery for sex. Some of them are put into slavery for all sorts of things. And it, it's a bizarre world. And when you don't do these things, you don't think they're happening. But it, it takes people like you that have survived this, have been through this, have been a victim of this, and now are an advocate to prevent it, that I think you, you're the expert. So I really want to hand it over to you. And I want to talk about Epstein. I want to talk about this NF, former NFL player and this lotto gang. But I really want to get your story as well. So tell me why you're involved in this to begin with. 
Absolutely, Rich. Thank you for that. And you're so, you're very right. You're right on the mark with all of those comments. But uh, for your listeners, yes, I am a survivor from ages six months to 17 years old. I was trafficked by immediate and some extended family members before there ever was a term called human trafficking. And familial trafficking is even harder to get reporting from victims and even harder to uh, rescue victims. Uh, A lot of times it goes on for generations. So uh, basically in the early 60s and 70s, there wasn't, people weren't even talking about child abuse. You know, as a kid, you didn't hear about that and adults just swept things under the rug. But by the age of five, the uh, abuse, torture, all that stuff was so intense Uh, My birth mother said she could take me out any time, and I thought I would beat her to the punch. So that was my first attempt at suicide. Wow. Well, let's walk through that, because I want the listeners to really understand the the severity of this. So you were living with your family, with your birth mother, and you tried to kill yourself because they were trying to traffic you? Well, they they were uh, sexually violating and and uh, physically, mentally, emotionally abusing me, beating me constantly and my birth brother. And so they, uh, I was locked up for months at a time, not allowed to go out, you know, anywhere and things like that. Plus uh, I had a speech impediment. So I was constantly being called stupid and retarded, things like that. So that whole thing that uh, basically she said I was the problem. If I wasn't there, everything would be better. But basically my birth mother was the uh, sexual predator and orchestrator of everything evil in our family unit. And my birth father, brother, and other people just went along with it. So again, you know, there wasn't any talk about that kind of stuff in those days. So uh, if mm-hmm. I went to an uncle's house or the uncle came over and we ended up in a room together, right? Um, that's, they allowed it. Uh, wow. So they, and, and she would lock uh, me up uh, apparently as a child. Now, much later, people started talking to me about it. Well, we thought something was wrong, but we didn't want to say anything. You know, we didn't want to get anyone in trouble. <laughs> so at five, I was beaten up so badly and I was touched and all of that stuff. I just wanted out because I thought being dead, at least no one could touch me anymore. I wouldn't have to be in that house. And this happened but, as young you know, as five years old. Well, that's when I wanted to kill myself, yes. But after therapy and a lot of work, you know, they realized that it actually started at six months old, the violations. Horrible. And this is what's hard for people to understand. Yeah, well, it's it's, it's, inc- it's very difficult to swallow this because it's you just think who who could do such a thing? How could such a thing happen? And when you know, in speaking to you, I have to give you some credit because obviously it's got to be difficult to speak about this, but you do it so eloquently and with such vigor and with such um, confidence and strength. And kudos to you. But uh, I think it's important for people to realize that you you realize these things and you remember these things, and you were a little kid, a little girl, and now. You're, you know, when did things start to change for you? If you were five years old, wishing you were dead because of the abuse you were going through, how did did you see light at the end of the tunnel? Well, on that particular day when I was waiting to jump in front of a car that never came down our normally busy street, you know, I looked into the sky and I just thought, you know, who made this? Is there something bigger or greater? And in my life, you know, I heard God's voice in my heart saying, this is not the plan I have for you. Suicide is not the answer. For other people, it could be something else. But for me, somehow I thought, okay, well, if you keep me alive, I'll do whatever you call me to do. But again, I was five. And fast forward through a couple more attempts because things got worse. 
and my birth brother was not helpful uh, at the age of 17. That was the last time my birth mother tried to kill me by trying to choke me to death. So it was wow. brutal and violent. How, how did you get away from your birth mother? Well, after I was uh, so 17, I tried to run, and I realized I have no money, I have no car, there are no family members that even knew what was going on. We were constantly kept from people. You know, every few years we'd move or something would change, and so I had nowhere to go, and I felt like I failed. I couldn't even kill myself. I couldn't run away, uh, but I did manage to get to college, and that was when I first started realizing how other people lived, you know, how quote-unquote normal people lived, right. how... Uh, you know, other families operated. Uh, I finished quickly. I, I did four years and three years. I just wanted to get on with my life because how could I possibly tell people, you know, the ones that are supposed to love you, protect you and nurture you were the very ones that were, had destroyed my innocence and my confidence, all of the negative self-talk. I just wanted to have a life, but I didn't really know how to have it. So I became the hardest worker, you know, in first, out last. I did everything I could to get affirmation and accolades from education and work. And ultimately, you were able to get away by going with other family or was it calling the cops? Like, how did you get away from that situation? Well, again, in the, let's see, so the early 70s, by that time when I was 17, there wasn't anywhere to go. The, uh, the police would not have, as a minor, uh, probably listened to me. They would have sent me back. And so what, how I got away besides going to college was I had other friends that I would go to their homes. I would see how they lived. But my birth mother was still threatening me. And so, so, uh, my, so you actually my, never my, got away. You just went to college. So I never got away until I went to law school. And when I went to law school and started living on my own, she was still in the area, but she couldn't touch me. And I would get letters saying, I'll destroy you. And, you know, I'll take everything you have, which, you know, I'm a broke law student. <laughs> what are you going to get from me? Right? right. But, but that was her, that was her thing. Uh, he, because I started speaking about, what had happened to me and she had heard about it and so she wanted to shut it down and basically that was it she said i'll kill you if i have to wow well let's hold that thought right there folks our guest is andy Berger. she's a survivor of human trafficking voices against trafficking is her organization i am rich valdez we're coming straight back to you with this story of human trafficking and life beyond it don't go anywhere i'm rich valdez Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Andy Berger. She is a human trafficking survivor and uh, the head of Voices Against Trafficking, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. And she's telling us how she went through this really difficult time, uh, abused as a child from the age of six months to 17 years old, 
and got away from her family only because she went to college and then finished college and went to law school and realized that that's not how you live your life. That's not the right way. It's not the normal way and decided to make a change. And uh, we were just at that point where she was in law school and realized this isn't how everybody else is living. Andy Berger, go right ahead. Yes, absolutely. So part of going to law school was a desire to save other kids uh, like who, who had been hurt like I was uh, from being uh, lost in the system or hurt even further. But I realized in law school that it wasn't really the justice I was looking for. At that time, you know, I saw judges sending kids back to the abusing parents because, well, every kid belongs with the mother or, or that's right. just a misunderstanding, right? And so that culture was every kid belongs with the parents, even if the parents are the problem. And as a minor, kids had no say whatsoever in the court system. And even today, we still have trouble listening to younger people, uh, you know, 14, 15. We have national cases that, you know, we could talk about too, but where the victims were not listened to. And so uh, after I got through law school, I went back to business. I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back to business and I'll find another way to help kids who are like me so that they don't have to suffer because a victim lives with the trauma their entire life. Even like me, if I get healing like I did through therapy, counseling, other things, you know, faith, support systems, you always are affected by what someone has done to you, especially with sexual violations and exploitation. You never live. You never live past that. You can't go back to innocence. Yeah, that's really unfortunate, Andy Berger. Really is. I mean, I hear it, and it's heartbreaking. So, how do you? Um, I mean, how did you move forward? How did you cope? Uh, being that you know it doesn't go away, how do you manage on the day to day? Well, what I did was I created a new normal, Rich, and that's when I encourage. People, a lot of the kids that my husband and I rescued, you know, we, we encourage them, you know, to keep moving. Don't buy the lies that you can't be better, that you can't have a life that could make you happy, that you can't be successful, all those things. So I had a primal desire to win, as in if I'm successful, if I live, then I win. And if I give up or take my life or do any of that, then the evil people win. So it was kind of primal in the beginning. But once I got some success and I finished law school, I was back in business and I realized that mm -hmm. I could probably do something in life. And it was on me now. You know, it was, I had to decide every day to be the kind of person I wanted to be. And that's what happened. Now, relationships were a struggle. I, I married an abuser, big shocker, right? But I didn't wow. know it at the time. Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, first marriage ended. But uh, then a couple years after, uh, I did marry the most amazing human I've ever known. And, and two things really that's stuck great. with me. He said, you know, yeah. He said, you know, I will always be there for you. I will never leave. And I'll always listen, even though I don't understand everything that happened to you. But I'll always be there. And that was so impacting because to know you have somebody, anybody in your support system, uh, that's a big deal to someone who's been hurt like I was. I could imagine. Uh, just having that unconditional support uh, makes a huge difference in, in anybody's life, let alone someone who's been through um, the, the type of abuse that you'd gone through. Uh, again, America, our guest is Andy Berger. She's the head of Voices Against Trafficking, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com, uh, a survivor of human trafficking, an attorney and an advocate uh, against what's going on against trafficking. And Andy Berger, so fast forward to where we are today and 
you're doing work with your organization and you're observing what's going on in the news. And there's this uh, story right before I brought you on. I was talking about the um, the Eric Johnson case, former NFL player who, who is among eight arrested on human trafficking charges, part of a gang called the Lotto Gang. Um, this is more common than I think we think. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, just so the listeners know, in the U.S. alone, every 40 seconds, a child 18 years or younger is abducted. That means they're taken, they're lured into something that they think is safe. And it's not just kids, it's teenagers, college kids, uh, you know, young women. And so this is this goes on at all levels, higher levels, lower levels, however you want to call that. But every community has this, whether we want to acknowledge the elephant in the room or not because you can't have victims without predators. And this lotto case is, is a great example. The gangs are using uh, their girlfriends or women. Uh, they're coercing them into sexual activities that they don't want to do. They're using violence and manipulation like they did in my case, you know, with family members. So it's, it's a way to control their product. And so the fact that they were even found out and arrested is huge. That's very rare. But again, people need to know that the average predator doesn't just look like the people in the movies. They, could, they look like a librarian or a dentist or, you know, a school teacher. And, you know, we have such an uptick, Rich. Uh, it's an epidemic. You know, human poaching is an epidemic in this country. So you're saying the um, our idea that when you're walking down the street and you see some weirdo and you get this gut feeling, you're like, this might be one of those human trafficking weirdos. That's not very accurate. You're saying they come in all shapes, sizes, and walks of life. Absolutely, because the money and the greed, usually trafficking is is fueled by greed or perversion, but we hear mostly about the greed because the it's a $160 billion global enterprise. And in the States, we're talking maybe, you know, 42 of that number. But sexual tra- sex trafficking is the majority of that. Because if you think about it, a gang can say, hey, you know, come on over. I'm going to have some friends over for a party. They tell their girlfriend. They, the girlfriend's like, yeah, you know, great. I'm, I'm going to be popular. My guy's inviting me to some kind of shindig. And then he ends up selling her 20, 24 times that night. He makes a lot of money doing that. And she's not going to run home and say, hey, guess what happened to me last night? So right, her boyfriend becomes not, a pimp and she becomes a shame. Exactly. And so each victim does get, you know, most victims average a sale of 20 to 25 times a day. The average victim, if they're lucky, has a seven-year lifespan, and usually only one out of every 100 victims is rescued or escapes. But then, also in news headlines over the years, we see that some of the victims who managed to kill their predator actually get put in jail for murder. Wow. How crazy is that? That's crazy. That's insane. They should be awarded and applauded. Absolutely. I mean, they have suffered to a degree that no one can ever understand. And it's just like with uh, prostitution. I actually had a district attorney in my area say, oh, well, if they're 18 and older and they're a prostitute, they, they chose that. Now, you mentioned you had children. I don't know that they're growing up saying, gee, I'd like to be a prostitute, you know, when I grow no, they're up. They're not. <laughs> no, they're not. not. But yet the, the 89% of prostitutes would not do that, but they were recruited as minors very young right. and they become kind of forced into that's it. their life. 
Yeah. When I was Absolutely. a kid, the, the thought was always, oh, those are runaways. And because, you know, they wanted to get away from home, they ended up living on the street and that's how they survived. So that's why they chose that lifestyle. And, and I'm sure there was some truth to that. But I think there's a lot more to it when um, when you look at how prostitution has expanded and it works today where it's a lot more organized. It's legitimately like organized crime. And there are people from all over the world. I, I actually once went to a church and the guest speaker was a guy from, I don't know, some South American country, maybe Ecuador. And he mentioned how he would, he wanted to be in, um, I think it was fashion modeling or something like that. And they said, oh, we can, we can get you into Italy and we'll, you know, whatever. They sold him some smoke and he, he bought into it. Uh, he got a visa. He went with them. They held on to his passport and then they, um, they made him work as a waiter, but he wasn't really a waiter. He was just pretending to be a waiter, and then he started turning male tricks, and they kind of forced him to do it because they said, we got your passport, and if you don't do what we tell you to do, we're going to kill your family back home. And Absolutely. this guy w was being held as a hostage and having you know, gay sex with people in Italy. That's where he ended up, um, Ecuadorian guy, for, for a number of years until, I guess, he worked off his debt, and they finally gave him his passport back and said, you can go. But by that point, he, his own words, he was all screwed up. Didn't know if he was coming or going, had all sorts of trauma and pain. And it was a horrible story to hear. I mean, he finally found, you know, Jesus and, and got very involved in his local church and became an evangelist. And, and, and that was the, his path out and his healing. But it was a remarkable story. And, and I heard that. And I think, you know, you, you tend to think this is, you know, few and far between. It's a one off. But it seems like they're not that one off. It happens a lot more than we think. It does happen a lot more than we think. And honestly, if we didn't have demand, there wouldn't be a need for supply, right? So right. even in America, uh, a couple of years back, I think it was USA Today had uh, a study from Rutgers, and it basically said that they had tracked 25 uh, or rather 2.5 million Americans who actively sought out to have sexual relations with children and paid for it. That's okay, horrible. I so, remember a few years back, they had passed a law saying if you went on one of these vacations to like Thailand or one of these other countries that allow that, and uh, you got caught doing it and they knew you were going there for the sake of having sex, that they would charge you with like some sort of um, rape charge in the United States. I don't know how effective that enforcement is, but I thought it was a good idea to have that kind of law. Well, we are woefully lacking in enforcement because technically right now there are laws on the books, but if we don't enforce them or there's corruption in any of that process of actually arresting and then keeping a predator in jail or isolated, uh, because the only, there are only two things a victim wants uh, regarding a predator, that they're either locked up for life with no chance of escape, no early release, or they're dead. They don't care which one. They just don't want that person ever to be in their life. And so you live with that constant thought. For me, my last predator, my birth mother didn't die until she was 91 years old. And I'm 60. Wow. So, so it was all, like you know, it, every, it's yeah, a long the, time. It's, there's an old saying, and the saying is, the good die young. They don't say anything about the bad. Folks, we're on with Andy Berger, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. She's a trafficking survivor, and she's with us. Um, if you want to ask her a question, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. The conversation continues. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Andy Berger. She's the head of VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com, and um, they put out the magazine Voices of Courage, uh, which uh, the most current uh, edition of the magazine contains a tribute to the late, great Jim Bohannon. So make sure you check that out. Go to their website, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. Andy Berger, I want to bring you um, into the loop, or I want you to bring me into the loop, better said, on what your thoughts are with respect to naming the names, right? This final batch of documents containing uh, the associates of Jeffrey Epstein and you know who these people are and will it be made public there's a lot of people that want to know who these dozens of John Doe's and Jane Doe's are. Do you think this is going to become unsealed? Well, that is a good question. And honestly, I believe that that book is, it has been used for leverage in some way. It, it definitely should be publicized. It is definitely valid to, to um, do that with the case that has been brought against Epstein before he died, of course, and in Maxwell. But here's the thing. Anyone who participated in that is as culpable as the actual predators, even if if they were lured there, but they thought, okay, well, this could be kind of weird, but fine, I'll do it anyways, right? So that doesn't excuse you from participating in something that's illegal and that is vicious and horrific as human trafficking. So every name in that book is as culpable in Andy's version, in Andy's belief. But the other part of it is too, there was a mother of one of the quote unquote captains in Epstein's uh, little regime. And she said, well, my daughter shouldn't be prosecuted because she was only the third captain. And that's, that's how we have problems because, well, she wasn't as bad as the other people, but yes, every single person involved, the book should be made public. There's no reason not to, unless there are strings being pulled for financial or or political uh, reasons, which is most likely the case. So I hope it does get exposed. But again, who's going to go after them? Right. I could see, uh, I mean, it's indicating here there's 167 names on there, and we don't know um, very many of them. And, And you're right. These are Typically, uh, at least the ones we are suspected of knowing, the ones we know, like Prince uh, Andrew and and others, these are very successful, very um, powerful people where they're doing everything they can, I'm guessing, to pull every string they can to make sure that their their proclivities for, you know, young girls or whatever it was they were getting from Epstein, which is, I think, what he mainly trafficked in, uh, remains a secret. Absolutely. And and who knows to what extent they'll go to keep their secrets, to protect their families and to, uh, again, manipulate the system. And if it was you or myself or somebody else, we probably would end up in jail. But at certain levels, there's And live coverage. while we're in jail. And, right? Yeah, live while we're in jail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. But, you know, here's the thing. Somebody always knows when a child's being abused. Somebody always knows when something is going on. It's whether they have the courage to speak out or to speak up, which is one of the things that we do with Voices Against Trafficking is trying to provide tools and ways for people to report or to, if you see something, say something because I would have done, I, I would have had a different life if somebody would have been looking for me or if somebody had heard the screams or the cries, right? And, mm. you know, I am good now, but think of all of the missing children, all of the missing innocents out there who are 
still being tortured, still being hurt, being sold for organ, you know, organ uh, harvesting, things like Mm -hmm. that. People don't like to hear it because it's uncomfortable. But what we do is we provide truth and hope because this is what we have to do as a a national community. We have to rally. Our children are not valued. They're commodities. They're not uh, the future anymore of our country mm -hmm. the way they used to be. Andy Berger is uh, the head of Voices Against Trafficking, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. We have a couple of minutes left with her. We're going to um, take a quick pause and come back and uh, quickly discuss what exactly they do at Voices Against Trafficking in addition to their magazine. All of that and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're wrapping up with Andy Berger, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. Andy Berger, let everybody know uh, very quickly, I guess in a minute or less, how you do what you do and what you're doing at VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. Absolutely. We promote greater public awareness through national and international educational tools, handbooks. We have books on Amazon.com, billboards in Times Square, you know, on New Year's Eve, things like that. Situational awareness curriculum that we're trying to get into the schools and into homes across the country. Uh, We do a lot of public service announcements. We're engaged in some live active rescues. But the Voices of Courage magazine and later the Voices of Courage television show this year is all about continuing to, yes, to give the general public more information, truth and hope in this situation, and also tips on how to prevent it. Our website, as you've mentioned, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. There are helplines and hotlines everyone should have on their phone tonight. And then the Voices of Courage magazine, you know, all of this is um, being done. Uh, it celebrates the everyday heroes that are selflessly fighting to protect human rights and to protect victims and get what they need. So at the end of the day, we're dedicated to eradicating human bondage, sexual slavery, and the violation of every human's rights. Well, Godspeed to you, Andy Berger, for doing an amazing job. Again, folks, the the website, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. Go check it out. Uh, Take a look at the website. Find the link to the magazine and support the cause. Andy Berger, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you, Rich. It's been an honor. Likewise. And straight ahead, we're going to talk about how your smart speaker Uh, where you say play this and play that might actually help burglars rob you. We're going to learn about cybersecurity straight ahead with Jonathan Taylor. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.